following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Easter rolls around once a year, and even though, as JB said, we focus on Easter a lot because we very much believe um, in a risen Savior. And not only that, we believe in talking about that risen Savior and not keeping quiet about Him. Um, But Easter is really something special when people from all around the world, we 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 can take heart in the fact that we have brothers and sisters of different skin color, of different dialects, ethnicities throughout this world that are celebrating a risen Savior with us. But I can tell you something right now. As, as one who has the incredible privilege of standing before a group of people and talking about the risen Savior on Easter, I feel about this tall sometimes. It's a little bit like this. I was thinking about trying to describe this to you. Imagine you've never heard Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Okay? You've never heard it. Ever. And I'm going to do my best to do a cover of that for you. Um, without a band, with this voice, and a kazoo, all right? That's a little bit what I can sometimes feel like, and I think what almost every preacher feels like on Easter Sunday, completely inadequate to tell this story because it's so great. Today's passage, interestingly enough, is all about inadequacy. You know, I'm pretty good at breaking things. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at it. Um, I do it sometimes when I'm not trying to. And unfortunately, my wife would tell you, I do it sometimes when I'm trying to. Now, she probably overblows this up just a little bit, but she would say I have a tendency to throw tantrums sometimes with tools. I don't know if you're a little like that. I would never hit a person, but boy, tools have really, really taking the brunt of of my frustration at times. And sometimes, if those tools, I can't afford the good tools, just understand that right now. So sometimes those tools do not very well take the anger of the moment. And I just, sometimes I, I break things, okay? I mean, I can do that. Today's passage is about somebody who was also good at that. His name was Peter. I feel like good company in, in, in Peter, because Peter was pretty good at breaking things sometimes too. Now, here you go. Today's encounter that we're going to look at comes out of the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And interestingly enough, this is after Easter morning. All right. Obviously, that will tie into what we say today. And if you look at the Gospel of John, it's interesting that it seems like the Gospel of John closes and draws to an end at the end of chapter 20, and then you kind of have this 21 kind of tacked onto the end of it. I think there's very good reason for that, and me, for one, I am very, very glad that it's there. And what I need to tell you is, the encounter that we're going to look at today took... The beginning of that, now it took place a little over a week after Resurrection Sunday. But this encounter began days before in the courtyard of the temple. 
And we look at this encounter and look at the history of this encounter. One thing pops into my mind. It's brokenness. A broken, a broken heart and a broken spirit. You know something? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not every event in Jesus' life that all four of the gospel writers write about. They were four different writers writing to four different audiences, and sometimes they chose different things to write about, and they wrote about them in different ways, depending upon the audience to which they were writing. Now, let me tell you this. If you find, if you find something contained by all four, it's usually a pretty important event. And unfortunately, this wasn't just an important event. This was a heartbreaking event, and it's this. It is Peter's denial of Jesus. You might remember what took place. Um, Just like Bill set up for us before our time of communion, Jesus, the last thing he did with his apostles together as a group was he shared in the Lord's Supper with them. And and we get a lot lot about that in the Gospel of John. Jesus kind of preached. He prayed for his disciples as well. And it was in that encounter that Jesus was talking about the betrayer, but he was also talking about a denier. And this is what I mean by this. Jesus let his, his apostles know. He said, he said, somebody is going to betray me. And Peter spoke up. He said, not me. Not me, never, Lord. Maybe the rest of these guys, but not me. I'd die before I would do anything like that. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, before the rooster crows... Peter, you will deny me this night three times. And then guess what? It happened. Jesus is in the courtyard in this horrible shamble of of a trial. And he's there by himself. And now some some of the disciples had kind of gotten into the courtyard. John was one. Peter was another. And John probably got Peter in there. And, and so they're kind of off at a distance in this courtyard. It's a cool evening. They're warming themselves by the fire. And not once, but three different times, from a servant girl to, to another servant in the temple, they said, I know you. You were with him. And three different times, Peter says, I wasn't. I'm not with him. I don't know that guy over there. And the last time, he called down curses upon himself. I do not know him. And Luke records for us that when Peter said that, the rooster crowed the second time, Peter remembered what Jesus had told him, and Peter looked to Jesus, and Jesus was looking directly into his eyes. And Peter runs. A broken moment of history. A moment of failure moment of regret. Jesus, Jesus, God's son, in a vulnerable moment, was brokenhearted, watching one of his closest ones, the one who said, I'll always be there for Jesus, deny him and turn tail and run like a coward. Mark uses a phrase that is somewhat unclear in the Greek, and the NIV does well in translating it kind of open-endedly. One, the NIV talks about this in the Gospel of Mark, and it says this, that Peter broke down and wept. 
And guess what? You look through Matthew, you look through Mark, you look through Luke, you look through John. The rest of that day, where Jesus would end that day dying on a cross, you will see nothing about Peter. He leaves, exits the scene. Restoration was the last thing on Peter's mind. All he could think of was failure, sorrow, this Lord of his, his best friend, whom he denied in his moment of need. Peter is a broken, broken man. But guess what? Seven days can change everything. It can absolutely change everything. And we fast forward about seven days in history, and guess what? Jesus has risen now. He is risen. He's not only arisen, he's appeared to his closest followers and some other individuals six different times. Doubting Thomas, the poor fellow that's been given that name, has already been invited by Jesus himself to stick his hands in the wounds, his fingers in the wounds on his hands and into his side. Now, I don't know if Thomas actually did that. It'd be a little weird, okay? But remember what Thomas said. He said, I won't believe until I put my hand in his side. And Jesus saw him and said, here you go. Have at it, Thomas. All right, so Jesus is there. Peter and and company, there's six or seven other disciples with him. They've already gone back to Galilee. Now, we've talked about this before. Galilee was kind of like redneck rural area, okay? And that's where most of Jesus' disciples were from. They were in Jerusalem, kind of city area for Passover, which ended in a, resur- a crucifixion and a resurrection, but they were told by the angels through the women to go back to Galilee and wait there. So that's what they do. They go back to Galilee as instructed. Peter, we are told, even receives a personal visit from Jesus. Now, we don't get anything about that, but it says that Jesus appeared to Simon, appeared to Peter. Now, we don't know what that encounter looked like or what was said, but it seems that when we look at this passage of scripture, there's still a little unfinished business between the two of them, okay? So now you have Peter and six other disciples. They're in Galilee. They are near the Sea of Galilee, and remember what Peter was before Jesus came along. He's a fisherman. He says, I'm going fishing, all right? I got a question for you. Are you a waiter? Now, I'm not saying anything to do with a restaurant or anything like that, but can you wait without doing something to occupy your time? Are you perfectly content just waiting, all right? Or do you have to be doing something while you wait, okay? Peter was not a good waiter, and he he says, says, guys, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing, JB's favorite Words from the Bible right there. I'm going fishing, okay? And the other guy's like, well, hey, we'll come with you. We'll come with you. And, and i got to tell you something. It's been a while since Peter's fished, all right? And by fishing, I'm talking not with the rod and reel, but with the net. I mean, that was his occupation before Jesus came along. So it's been a while, and it shows, because he and the six other guys are in the boat. They're out there all night, and they catch diddly, okay? They catch nothing. 
And the morning starts to break. The sun is coming up. The day is breaking, okay? And they're slowly going to start making their way back to shore because now comes the fun part as a professional fisherman. You got to clean the nets up when you're done. And we didn't catch anything all night. And then you have to clean and fix the nets. It's not fun. So they're like, oh boy, here we go. So they're about 100 yards off the shore. John chapter 21 tells us, okay, we're just kind of, I'm summarizing the first 14 verses here, okay? They're heading back to shore, and there's this fellow up there on the shore. And he hollers out at him and says, you catch anything? <laughs> when you don't catch anything, that's not a question you like to answer. And I'm sure like, well, we got a few bites, you know. You know, because that's what I say. Got, got a few, had a few hits, boy, I, missed, I broke my line, missed a big one, you know. Um, but they're not fishing with rods and reels, they just got nets. So they're like, no, thanks for asking, we didn't catch anything, okay? And he said, okay, um, why don't you take that net of yours and throw it on the right side of your boat? And I know what Peter and James and John, because they're with him, they're the sons of Zebedee, and they're also fishermen. Now Thomas is with them. Probably Andrew, which he was a fisherman. But they had some non-fishermen here, and they're like, this is ridiculous, okay? I mean, this is not going to work. But they do it. They throw the net in the right side, and guess what? Muscles strain, nets strain. I mean, at first, they're probably like, what are we stuck on down there? And they start feeling something move. So many fish, they can't pull the net up. And it's John, good old John, who thinks, wait a second, Wait a second, I've been here before. I've been here before. James, you remember? Little brother, don't you remember? Peter, you got to remember? That's Jesus. That's Jesus up there. I love this next part, all right? These guys are out here fishing. They're kind of stripped down to their whitey tidies, okay? All right? Because that's what you fished in. And, but, but Peter, he, I'm not going to go up and see Jesus in my whitey tidies. So he throws on his coat jumps into the water and swims that hundred yard. I mean, Michael Phelps would be like, wow, I got some competition here, all right? And Peter, he just leaves them with the fish, jumps in the water, and he takes off. And he swims the hundred, and he gets up there. And Jesus, by now, is not standing at the water. He's over, over a fire. Get this, cooking breakfast. <laughs> He's cooking breakfast. Peter comes up, and he's just kind of like, I mean, understand, he just, he's dripping wet. I mean, just think what that coat weighed. I mean, it's, I mean, you can't even say anything. And Jesus is like, Peter, go help him with the fish, okay? Because the guys are trying, they can't even get the fish in the boat. There's so many, they just kind of leave the net behind the boat. They're trying to get in, go help him with the fish. So that's what they do, and it tells 153 big old giant fish, all right? And, and then Jesus tells the, the seven, he says, come eat. Breakfast is ready, come eat. And you know, if, if the story ends right there, that, I mean, that would be good enough. I mean, that's a fish story. I mean, goodness, that, I don't even think the crappie king can tell a story that, that compares with that, you know? And the thing about this fishing story, JB, is it really happened, unlike fishermen's stories. But guess what? What happens next is the good part. Not the easy part, because I'm going to tell you, the good parts aren't always the easy parts. So let's dig into it. We're in now verse 15. 
of John 21. We're just going to take it a verse at a time here, all right? Be reading out of the New American Standard. So, so when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, by the way, guys, he says, Simon, son of John, that was Peter's name before Jesus commissioned him as a disciple. After that, he called him Peter. But here, what's he call him? He, he like turns back the clock a little bit and says, Simon, son of John. Come here. We need to talk. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, do you love me more than these? And by these, he's probably referring to the other apostles. And you're like, what well, is Jesus just doing? Like, who loves me most here? I mean, what? what? No. Do you remember what Peter said a little over a week ago? He said, Master, if all of these deny you, betray you, I won't. Not me. So Jesus looks at Peter and says, remember what you said? Do you love me more than all of these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Peter now, he's, I mean, there, Jesus is taking a couple little shots at him here, you know, but he's like, okay, but then Peter's like, oh, but look what happens next. Jesus just stays right with him. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And I, guys, I'm telling you, when Jesus asked this time, the words written on our pages do not do justice to the emotion I guarantee you was in Peter. And Jesus asked him again, verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, they weren't alone here, okay? The other disciples were witnessing this questioning. Was this just a cruel thing that Jesus was doing here? No. Yes, it was painful, but it was not cruel. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's remaking and restoring Peter. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus said, do you love me? And three times Peter said yes. And Jesus followed that every time with, take care of my people. Take care of my flock. And guys, this is the thing. You know what is so exciting about Easter is that it just starts, keeps getting better because it's just weeks later that the church would begin. And guess who would be preaching that message along with the other apostles, but the one that takes the forefront? Peter. Exactly. Peter will be right in the middle of the church. is not far away. It's just weeks away. And Peter will be right in the middle of it all for decades to come. 
And then look what, it's not over yet. Look what happens next. Verse 18, Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. And this is not just a, just a sign here of what happens is old age. That's not what he's talking about here. Because what happens next is verse 19. Now Jesus, this he said, signifying what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And then when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. The day would come when when Peter would pay the ultimate price. For his devotion to Jesus. According to tradition, Peter was executed by the Emperor Nero in AD 68. Some 34, 35 years later. Interestingly about his execution, it was on a cross just like the execution of Jesus. And Peter had one request before he was put on the cross. And his request was this. Put me on the cross and you turn that cross upside down. Because I am not worthy to die in the same way my Lord died. And Peter's wish was granted. Why does this passage speak to me? Why in the world are we looking at John 21 on Easter morning? I can tell you why. Because of Peter. I can tell you another thing why. Because I break things. And sometimes the things that I break are more important than a a cheap tool from Harbor Freight. (laughs) And I find hope in this experience of Peter. And it has some to do with Peter. It has more to do with the God that we serve. You know what? Right in the middle of the Old Testament, speaking chronologically, you can find the words of, of, I just want to say, an obscure older woman. We don't even know her name. And she was pulled into a situation she didn't ask to be pulled into, and it was an ugly situation. We won't go into the details of it. Just take my word for it. It was an ugly situation. And she was pulled into the middle of it. And you know what she had to say about God? I love these words. Listen closely. Comes out of 2 Samuel. And this is what she says. She says, God... Plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. God plans ways so that the banished one would not be cast out from him. You know what? In the story of Peter, I find hope. Because in that story, I see a Lord who will do anything and everything in his power to bring his loved ones home. I see a Lord who remakes broken people and a Lord who challenges those people to live life with purpose. 
Guys, I gotta be straight with you. Truth be told, we are all inadequate to share the message of the risen Lord. It is that great of a message. But guess what? Our inadequacies, God doesn't care about them. Jesus doesn't care. He restores us with his blood. All debts paid. He fills us with his spirit for a purpose to, for us to tell others the message of hope. You know what the ultimate message of Easter is? Change. It is the event that changed everything. That empty tomb changes everything. You leave Peter Hours before that cross, a broken man. That man was broken, people. And that tomb that he and John ran to and saw that stone rolled away and ducked in there and looked, it was empty. And then Jesus showed up. It changed Peter forever. That power can change people yet today. 